Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about Jihad and Corpus Christi. John Guandola joined me in studio to talk about America's response to Jihad and all of the protests we're watching. And a conservative Supreme Court is wobbling on trans issues and more. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk to today's First Five. Today, we are going to talk about an incident that happened in Texas. It's actually now been, it's in May 21st, so almost two weeks ago, or a week and a half ago, and it involved a jihadist trying to enter an actual military installation in the Corpus Christi, Texas area. And it was the Naval Air Station there. And he, this uh, shooter, Adam Al-Sahali, whatever you have, you say his name, showed up at this military installation in San Antonio, began firing, fortunately for us, fortunately for America, the guard was very well prepared. Even though she was injured by gunfire, she had on a vest, so she was protected. She rallied and she was able to shoot back and to kill this guy who was trying to invade an American military base. Obviously a story that could have had a horrible outcome had he been successful entering this, the, and, and the installation been unaware, uh, not ready for him. But fortunately for America, this young woman who was serving as a guard at the entrance was able to stop him. I invited John Guandolo on the show today to talk about that incident. But I also want to be clear that a lot of what we're watching in this country, the just astonishing uprising, the almost instantaneous uprising of violence all around this country, allegedly springing off of some apparently very bad conduct by a Minneapolis police officer in killing an unarmed black man and, un and making an arrest for, of all things, a $20, trying to pass a counterfeit $20 bill. So the incident in Minneapolis was caught, as everyone in America knows now, caught on a video camera and seen around the world. But from that incident to a mere 24 hours later and now 48, 72 hours later, America has erupted into violence. As we talked about yesterday in the show, this is not naturally occurring violence. This is not truly a just spontaneous organic response to an incident that people are upset about is, is actually very much part of an ongoing, as I was calling it yesterday, talking with Star Parker and on the whole show yesterday, talking about these are groups long in place, happily in place, ready to pounce on attacking America and just waiting for an incident that was justif would justify protest. So we saw the map yesterday by former New York City um, Police Commissioner Carrick, who just who laid out the gigantic U.S. map and all of the incidents around the country, and basically his comment was, "Raise your hand if you think all of this could have been coordinated overnight." I mean, how much money was involved? This is obviously not organic. We need to understand this is, as I was saying yesterday, this is America under assault. This is not about black versus white. This is about having America or siding with people who would destroy America. The Antifa organization, segments of Black Lives Matter, 
radical Marxists in this country, socialists in this country, the entire just ugly cabal of the American left is all very much using this unfortunate incident in Minneapolis to spring off of and justify their violent behavior. I want to just show you something. I'm here in Dallas, Texas. This was a, um, a flyer that appeared on Facebook, and I think Matt the Wonderful has it. This relates to something that's supposed to happen, was supposed to happen last night uh, in Allen, Texas. And I can ask him, so look at this thing, Allen Justice for George Floyd riot. They're advertising a riot. Bring weapons. We will be assaulting cops. This is actually run on Facebook. Justice for George. My brother is bringing a Molotov with him. We about, I'm not going to read bad words on air, but you can see what they're threatening. They're threatening violence. And so this was from last night. And they have other ones around this country. My point is groups of all kinds of extreme radicals in this country are using that incident as a springboard to justify violence. And we're going to tie in with, I started in the first five chain, I'll wrap up by saying this. I started talking about the incident in, uh, in Corpus Christi here in Texas on May 21st, where jihadists tried to get into a naval, a, a military installation in America. What I want to dig in and talk about with John Guandola in our next segment is this. There is, and we've talked about this before in the show, but there's a connection between, a political connection between Marxist radical leftists in this country, the kind of leftists who would support Antifa, would support Black Lives Matter violence, would support the, the radical socialist Marxist movement in this country, and Islamists in this country who are pushing Islam at ultimately to be forced upon the American people. But at this point, those two uh, interests, which might seem as though they are disjointed, are actually very connected. In fact, in Minnesota, of all bizarre coincidences, the Attorney General in Minnesota, Keith Ellison, has now, he is in charge of prosecuting the police officer who was involved in the incident in which George Floyd lost his life. So Keith Ellison, a Muslim, former member of Congress, a Muslim Attorney General in Minnesota, his own son, announced on social media, I think yesterday or the day before, that he is coming out in support of Antifa. You had Ilhan Omar, the Democrat Muslim member of Congress from the Minneapolis area, serving in her first term in Congress. Her daughter, Ilhan Omar's daughter, tweeting out support for the Antifa protesters, helping people know where they need to go to get supplies. The daughter of the governor of Minnesota, the governor of Minnesota, Walls, his last name, W-A-L-Z, his daughter, Hope, was tweeting out, helping the protesters, helping the protesters figure out where the police were going to be. I think Matt the Wonderful has her tweets from her. I can just show you what she had to say. This is the daughter of the governor of Minnesota tweeting out, could someone who actually has followers relay, she can't spell besides, relay to the masses that have gotten National Guard trending that the Guard will not be present tonight. There's a lot of misinformation that is further spreading fear and chaos at this scene of the protest. She's helping the protesters figure out, there's another one by her too, Hope Walls. She's helping the protesters figure out where the National Guard will be so that they can avoid being arrested or detained or stopped. This is the daughter of the governor of Minnesota tweeting this out. She had, I don't know if Matt has any other tweets from her, maybe not. Okay, we don't have any, anyway. Uh, but yeah, here, here you go. So someone's trying to say, hey, look out, the National Guard is coming. Some guy, Sean Lim, she's responding. 
the guard cannot be sent in within minutes. It takes time for them to deploy because they come from all over the state. To be clear, the National Guard will not be present tonight. So you have leftist governor, very leftist governor in Minnesota, daughter trying to help the protesters figure out how to avoid the National Guard. This is leftism rising up in America. We better be alert to it. And that, my friends, is today's first five. As I mentioned at the start of the show, we have John Guandolo in studio. He's been here many times. So glad he was available today. As I was telling you before we started, or in the earlier part of the show, I invited him on to talk about the incident in Corpus Christi. And I still want to talk about that. But he's been such a student of the marriage of Islamism and Marxism and Islamism and leftism in this country. So I want to have him talk about that too, about what we're seeing as look around our country as literally being destroyed before our very eyes very little protest or opposition to this destruction from anyone in leadership on the american left and seemingly very much the governors and some mayors especially in minneapolis pretty much encouraging the protesters justifying their conduct instead of standing up for american law and order so we have john guandola studio hi john hi how are you doing it's great to be back with you Great, I'm so glad that you're here. Well, let me just jump in the narrow story first. Okay. In Corpus Christi, we had a jihadist trying to get in to the, and I always forget the name of it, the Corpus Christi Naval Air Station. The shooter's name is Adam, and he has a long history of connection with actual radical Islam. I mean, I could read the whole his whole um, rap sheet, but this is a guy who hates America, hates freedom, hates liberty, and really, truly, by the grace of God, this alert person was working at the entrance. So now that we know that happened, fortunately, as, they, as you know, she extinguished the threat, but what should people in Texas and America do they know about that? Do we just say, glad that's over? Or what should we do something more? Well, I think it's a great chance to recognize that there have been more terrorist attacks, jihadi attacks in Texas than any other state in the country. And that's something for many Texans I know that shocks them that uh, when you look around the country at places like, you know, whether it's Tampa or uh, New York City or other places, but there have been more individual attacks and not just things, more jihadi attacks, not just, you know, you've got Garland, Fort Hood, you've got this at the Naval Air Station, Corpus Christi, but we have a number of other attacks. So it's the number one place in the country for jihadi attacks, but you've also got the largest terrorism financing trial in American history was held in Dallas, Texas. Why? because you have the largest contingent of Hamas terrorists in the country, second only to Chicago in Dallas, Texas. Wait, wait, wait. please say that fact again. The largest contingent of Hamas affiliated terrorist organizations and individuals is right here. The Holy in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, in the Dallas area. The Holy Land Foundation, when it was indicted here in Richardson in Dallas, Northern District of Texas, the federal court, that was the largest Islamic charity in America at that time. Yeah. And it was a Hamas organization yeah. right here. So you've got that. You've got, um, when you look at the infrastructure here in Texas, you've got, uh, when we talk about places like Dearborn and mm -hmm. Minneapolis and how bad they are, I would put Houston, Texas on par with them. The difference is that the massive infrastructure of communists and jihadis in Houston, uh, I would say is bigger than those areas. They just haven't um, intentionally blossomed 
Like you don't see them being overt like they are in Dearborn and Minneapolis, but that time's coming. And when it comes, it's gonna be ugly. Okay, honestly, if you put the term, the word communist in the same sentence with Houston to most Texans, they would look at you like you were, you know, crazy making things right, up. Because they're not paying attention. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you, believe me. I'm just right. shocked and amazed. Communist in Houston seems like, I mean, I don't even know what to, to make an analogy, but anyway. That sounds alarming and amazing, but communism, you, you're allowed to be a communist in America. I mean, it's a free country. You can be a communist. You can be a, you can be an Islamist. I mean, you can, as long as you don't take action to do something, you're allowed to believe these things. So what do people who are, live in Texas and don't want a future of communism and Islamism, so what's our, what do we do? Well, it would be nice if the government in Texas actually just enforced the law. Texas has some of the strongest sedition laws in the country. And uh, to say, hey, I'm this, I'm a jihadi or I'm a communist. Yeah, you can do that. The problem is uh, the people we're talking about are actually taking actions that are in line with communist and Sharia doctrine, which is conspiring to overthrow the state government. It's a violation of Texas law. They're conspiring to murder. They're funding uh, activities that then go towards these criminal activities. So there are criminal statutes that can be brought to bear, but you actually have to have your DPS and your law enforcement and your prosecutors and judges educated, and very few are. So what kinds of actions, for example, the communists in Houston, I'm still kind of, still got my head spinning on that one, but communists in Houston, what do they do that could potentially be prosecutable now? I mean, do they do anything that's prosecutable? Sure, well, I mean, you've got a mayor and a police chief down there that fall into that category. Um, but the, the headquarters for the Communist Party in Texas is in Houston, which just happens to be the same spot, uh, same town. You've got this massive jihadi infrastructure in Houston. Uh, and at the core of that infrastructure, I mean, you have over 108 mosques that we know about just in Houston, which is to my uh, knowledge, that's uh, in the top in the country, at the, at the top tier in the country. But the, the preponderance of these mosques are hostile. And then you've got the Islamic Society of Greater Houston, which is a massive infrastructure that goes beyond just the mosque, you know, the schools and the other organizations, and that's owned by the Muslim Brotherhood. And there's no effort, no effort by either the state or Houston at any level to do anything about it. So the citizens of Houston have no idea the kind of threat that they're under. Okay, so owned by the Muslim Brotherhood, I know that um, there's talk periodically about designated Muslim Brotherhood as a terrorist organization, and we don't, we haven't done that so far. Correct? We haven't done that. Correct. We, we we talk about it, and I think I don't know how many times and how many different administrations have been talked about. And there's always a hesitancy because people say, well, you know, it's just, I mean, they don't really do anything right now, so so they can't really be named that. But wouldn't it make a huge difference if we could get that designation at the federal level? It, it would be, it would be a good start. However, the problem is because police and federal agents, when you, let's say we designated them and they said, well, we're gonna go do a search warrant at the Islamic Society of Greater Houston. They wouldn't have any idea what they're looking at. They, they don't understand how to interview and interrogate people. Um, and that's, you know, when we talk about the response by police and federal agents to our training at understanding the threat, it radically changes their understanding of how to approach the threat and how to actually get to solutions. And that's the problem. So yeah, we can designate them, but then you have to have a massive training effort 
to actually then take action if you want the action to be effective. You know, you mentioned understanding the threat, your organization. It makes me realize what's the funny thing is I think this happened last time you were on my show, but I meant to do a better introduction than I did. I feel like everyone knows John. He's here all the time. John Guandolo founded an organization called Understanding the Threat. It is a, first of all, a great website, understandingthethreat.org. Com. Com. Dot com. But it's a great website filled with information that, honestly, I think most people don't have any idea. John writes periodic blogs. I have them actually all printed out in front of me here. But he writes articles explaining things to people because to the average American, every time we have something that seems like jihadist terror, whether it's in Europe or it's in America, everyone thinks, oh my gosh, I got to understand this. Why did that happen? They dig around, they read a little bit, but then we go back to our normal lives. And we think, well, you know, we they arrested those people or um you know that was somewhere else couldn't happen here we just we we kind of default into wanting to assume everything is safe and and good and stable in america and that things that happen in other countries couldn't come here so understanding the threat is a lot about john does training for law enforcement officials individual citizens uh, lawmakers people who want to understand the jihadist threat in America can go to understanding the threat. They can get training from John Guandolo. His background, this is bad. Here we, we're halfway through it. Let me just tell you too, John Guandolo, beside being the founder of Understanding the Threat, has a great history as a, as a patriot in America. He served in the military, attended the Naval Academy. He served with the FBI. Um, he was recruited out of the FBI Department of Defense. This is the thing I wanted to say, to conduct strategic analysis on the global Islamic movement. This is a gentleman who has studied Islam, the global Islamic movement, the jihadist movement within America, the organizations in America who are supportive of jihad. And so he's really able to speak with more knowledge and information than someone who's just vaguely aware. He's in very much detail aware of the threat we have in America. So now that we've done that introduction. So we're watching violence in this country, just kind of unprecedented scene that came out of nowhere over a bad incident in, in Minneapolis came out of nowhere. So do you connect dots between various organizations encouraging this violence? That, just tell me how you see all this. Yes. Uh, so first of all, as succinctly as I can say, what you are seeing today in the streets of America and what we've seen in the last few days is clearly an organized effort, an intentional effort that has been planned, well-funded, and well-organized. And when we look at this, this is a trigger point. Uh, I would not be surprised if we find out there was even an intentionality about the trigger point, the death of George Floyd. Yeah. Uh, my guess is that we will hopefully uncover it, but because we have uh, a non-existent counterintelligence apparatus in the United States might not happen. But what we do know is these things, it's like I share with people, when you see a thousand people pop up with pre-made signs, that's yeah. not random. It's not spontaneous. Not organic. These aren't, right. <laughs> they're not random, spontaneous protests. This is organized by the Communist Party here. And when we talk about the Communist Party, let me be clear. Antifa is a communist organization. Black Lives Matter is a communist organization founded by three Marxist communists. Um, when we look at who are they working with most closely at the ground level, Hamas across the country, Hamas doing business as the Council on American Islamic Relations and other Muslim Brotherhood organizations, right? Leading the Red Brigade in Austin, Texas is a female Sharia adherent Muslim. 
right? So they're not only working together, but sometimes they're, as we'd say in the military, cross-decking and leading. You've got Muslims leading Marxist organizations. That is as clear as you can. You had the leader of the Muslim Brotherhood and Hamas in the United States a few years ago, Nihad Awad, at a Muslim Brotherhood conference in Chicago, say Black Lives Matter is our matter. Their campaign is our campaign. As clear as it can be said at the senior level and then down to the local level, they're working together in these, these riots and protests. And the last thing is that the violence we're witnessing is not the point. The violence, whether it's an attack at NAS Corpus Christi or these violent protests, violent protests, the point is to drive the nonviolent effort, right? And so when somebody says, why are police sitting back while violence and is happening right in front of their face because they've been conditioned to do so since 9-11. And that has been the point of the nonviolent um, Muslim organizations working with police departments. It's to ensure that they're put on their heels and their first response is to hold back, is to self-restraint. Instead of these rioters who are setting police cars on fire and hurting people, instead of shooting them and killing them to defend the innocents, they do nothing. And the cities burn and people are now hurt. And in one case, somebody's been killed, police do nothing. Actually, I wanna explore that some more with you. So you're talking about this as an intentional psychological training, essentially, that Muslim organizations have done toward police departments and under the guise of, let's build understanding, communication, you know, we're, we're different than you, but we want you to understand us. So they've created a, a communication method or, or, or a setup with the police department, but all along the intention was to train them to be afraid to challenge, to be afraid to um, arrest, to be afraid to violently confront the protesters. And they, so the police, have been, I mean, this is, you're saying all of that was intentional by the Islamic movement. Of course, they say it in their documents. When we out, they say it like when we do outreach with Christian organizations, the purpose is never to share Christianity and Islam. It's to bring the Christians over to Islam or so we know whose side they're on. That's it. It's to subvert. It's always to subvert. So they subvert the uh, poli poli political, they subvert the religious, the, the Christian, that whole interfaith outreach. Yep. Who controls that in the United States? The U.S. Muslim Brotherhood. We have a whole package on that. When you talk about them working with law enforcement, it's to subvert the mission. So you get things like FBI agents going in to effect an arrest in a Miami mosque and they take their shoes off to effect an arrest so that they don't offend. That's the level of insanity. Special agent in charge of FBI field offices calling in moms to say, hey, we're gonna go arrest this Muslim today. And then we're shocked when they can't find him because he's been alerted by the imam. This is the kind of nonsense. And uh, the leadership in law enforcement has lost their collective mind and they put officer safety fourth on the list, right? Instead of doing your job. And that's why we're, and so what's the net effect 16, 18 years later? Police officers sitting on their hands while citizens are being hurt and properties being destroyed and threatened.
Yeah. You know, we had Star Parker on the show yesterday, and she was talking about she was just very critical of the governor of Minnesota and the mayor of Minneapolis in both cases, saying it should have been right out of the gate at the moment, the first protest. There will be no protests. There will be no protests. You will get you will be arrested. It should have been early curfew just every day. So there can, in fact, Washington, D.C. is even worse than Minneapolis. I don't know if that's fair. Washington, D.C., in her words yesterday, is just devastated. I mean, the city, you walk the city, the buildings are devastated at all these. And, and her point was, it was I'm tying back what you're saying. Her point was that all these officials sitting back and they think they're somehow preserving the peace or they're kind of like that Baltimore mayor said, I think it was a Baltimore mayor one time said, you know, they got to get the rage out of their system. And so you just let it all go. And then you're at the place where the citizens sitting in their homes are thinking, where are the police? And, to th and I think honestly, most Americans don't think in the contrived isn't the right word, but the intentionality you're describing, the, the ongoing manipulation of our culture. We just don't think that we don't picture that happening. We don't envision it. And so we kind of are aghast and frustrated with police, but you're saying they're following the training. So, so how do we fix this? Uh, well, that's a, that's a bigger issue. I think it, it begins with, uh, let me just, I want to dovetail off what you said. Please do. Because it, the, the Democrat leadership, those are communists. Let's just be clear. Tim Waltz of is a communist. Party, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. the leadership, that's communism. That's not, let's not soft shoe it. Uh, but uh, which Republican governor in the United States stood up and boldly spoke about what's going on? The number is zero. I was, I was waiting to try and think who you were talking about. Yeah, zero. zero. Yeah. As a matter of fact, what Republicans have done, including here in Texas, is nothing. And they've encouraged it. So you get a, a Dallas police chief encouraging oh, the protesters. She knows they're not protesters. These are violent people coming to the streets. And then you get Dallas citizens, I saw the video, one of them beat, I don't yeah. even know if that citizen's alive. Yeah, yeah. I don't know the outcome of that because I just got it last night. And what, what are we doing? Zero. What did the Republican governor of Ohio do? Come on, come to our streets. The, let me, the, the term in communism is controlled opposition. The Republican party is the controlled opposition in this war. They are doing what our enemies want them to do, which is they're either doing nothing, but usually they're doing things like, we support the protesters. When you say that, what you're saying is, we support Antifa, Black Matt, we support communism and jihad. And they, the enemy knows that. And then you do nothing. That's what they're talking about. The Muslim Brotherhood calls it civilization jihad yes, by our hands. They get our leaders, Republicans, to do their bidding for them. At best, the Republicans do nothing. At worst, the Republicans step in because they feel obligated to say, hey, we side with this Muslim because people are making fun of him and we, we think he's a nice guy. Well, it turns out that guy's a jihadi. So why don't you just, best thing for Republicans to do is keep your mouths shut and stop making bad decisions. This is what, what's happening. Yes. They're, they're the biggest problem in this war. Yeah, stop validating what they're doing by That's all right. the things you're talking about. You know, I was gonna say one way this becomes really problem is problematic now, becomes really problematic, there was a story about Salem, Oregon, where they had, where they had gun owners, and these are actually people who have like AR-15 type guns, 
who showed up at one, I guess it's an area of shops that they, for some reason, were alerted to, that there was going to be looting, there was going to be violence and window breaking and theft and all that, and they just had a bunch of citizens show up, lined up on the sidewalk, AR-15s, and just stood there. And so you had the Black Lives Matter, Antifa, whoever the people were showing up to protest, and it was the only thing that these shop owners had. They, they had other citizens. They didn't have the police. They didn't have the, the state troopers. They didn't have anyone standing up for them except private citizens. And you can see where some people try to say, well, gosh, you can't have people taking the law into their own hands. What else are they supposed to do? Because the other choice is just surrender. Go ahead, break my window, steal my stuff. The, the other choice was surrender. It worked in Salem. I mean, that particular, they were, the protesters taunted the AR-15 guys, the Salem citizens, and said, you know, uh, you think you're pretty tough. What are they going to do? They're not going to start looting and throwing bricks when they can see the AR-15s. It should have been the police lined up with the guns, that's right. not, the, not the citizens. But. That's right. And I want to now, after that, because that's a great segue into your other question, what do we do? Yeah. The citizens uh, need to realize the cavalry's not coming. The cavalry's not coming. What we have been saying since... Uh, briefing members of Congress back in 2005, six, seven, and forward to today. I mean, we, we are on record years ago. We've written articles, we've done interviews that this war will be won or lost at the local level by citizens. Because what we said back then, we suspected when we were saying, if you have a, if you swear an oath to office to protect and defend against all enemies, there's a legal requirement for you to then either know all enemies or do a due diligence to know all enemies. And you're right, a lot of citizens have a hard time digesting how well coordinated the communists and jihadis are, but we have all their dot, we have their strategies, we have it all on paper, we have their tactical plans. So we know that what the, what's going on is just, they're just following their plans. The reality is, for a member of Congress or anybody in the national security arena, somebody on the Joint Terrorism Task Force to say, I don't know, that means you're unprofessional. And when Americans are dead because you're unprofessional, legally that's called criminal negligence. And we put doctors and lawyers in jail for that. And I would argue we should be putting national security professionals in jail for that. My point of sharing this is, folks, there's no cavalry coming. We as citizens, have to do it. What understanding the threat does is we give you options. You can commission us as understand the threat by financially supporting what we're doing and we'll do the fight for you or come to us, we will educate and train you how to address this, how to identify and dismantle these networks at the local level. And that's what, we, what it's come down to. Yes, it would be nice if the federal government did something productive in this war, anything that would be helpful, but don't expect, stop saying, well, as soon as these indictments come down by Mr. Barr, then, you know, there'll be justice. Stop it. Just stop. I'm going to argue with him on this one, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Those things will be helpful, but the war will not be won at that level. Yep. I think among the many reasons, I agree with everything John has said in terms of the organizations that simply hate America. They want to bring down America. They do not love, as we, the thing I talk about in the show all the time, the America of the founding, the country rooted in the ideas in the Declaration, the Constitution, you have rights from God since because you were born, and the whole notion of America rooted in liberty. 
the left in this country, which I do not just mean the Democrat Socialists of America or the communists, I mean the left, the Democrat Party, is no longer on that playing field of loving America. And what they argue to people is, we're the ones who care, we're the ones trying to help the little guy, we're the ones who care about uh, racial injustice, we're the ones who care about all sorts of issues. And they use their expression of concern to lure people in to say, well, I better vote with them because after all, they care about me. People get behind the left's agenda the leader, without realizing where the leaders of the left are taking us. I, I think there are, there are plenty of Americans who do recognize what the left is doing, but there are protesters out there who think the only reason they're out there today in cities around the country is because a Minneapolis police officer engaged in really horrible conduct toward a citizen named George Floyd. And so that's why they're there. They feel noble. They feel like they're standing up against injustice. It is a great feeling to stand up against injustice. But what needs to happen is more Americans becoming aware of the much bigger picture of where the left really stands and what they really want. They are not there to help the little guy. I want to repeat something I said yesterday in the show. And you can read this on our website, americacanbetalk.org. There are studies that show, for example, after the 1968 riots, where businesses were destroyed, businesses built up by black families who had otherwise been low income, they become self-sufficient, they had actual businesses going. It took in that era, after the 1968 riots and businesses destroyed, it took decades and decades and decades to bring those businesses back. My point is, people who would destroy property, burn cars, smash windows, destroy businesses, burn buildings, they are not fighting for the little guy. They are not fighting for the repressed black American. They are not fighting to end racism. They have an, a horrible, awful agenda that people orchestrating it are the leftists who would, who would destroy this country. And there are people around this country thinking they're helping, getting caught up in that kind of conduct. And they cannot claim they're trying to help the little guy or help the black American. And it's important to understand those studies. Every time you hear, because you hear defense, even by Governor Walls, by mayors, well, they've got a lot of rage. They've got, they've got to vent. We've got to let it go. They're letting these people destroy the very businesses, the individuals that the Democrat Party claims they represent and care about. They don't care about the little guy or they wouldn't let it happen. I want to get that point. I just, that matters so much to me. It's That's like these poor That's people. Yeah. Okay. So, so I, I, you're talking about what we can do about it. And I do love understanding the threat, great organization. But I mean, if you're like in Dallas County, I can tell you what happened here just in the last few days. A friend lives in a high rise in Uptown and the uh, protesters and this massive ugly protest in Dallas actually penetrated the parking garage. So they're in the parking garage. The people in the building, you know, living up high, Many, I'm assuming, not armed. And so you have the protesters in the basement. They're trying to beat the door in to get to the apartment, the condos. And people are obviously calling 911, and they never came. Never came. The, the police just never came. So the people are on their own. So you start to think about that kind of, I mean, you could hear people here saying, well, I mean, the police were overwhelmed that night. We had buildings burning. We had cars building. We had, I mean, it was a mess in Texas. But that is a kind of hint of what you're talking about. Like, the cavalry's not coming. Nope. And, and so, I mean, I, give me a better answer. Don't tell, I mean, I'm serious, but I want to know this kind of, at this point, is it waking up more elected officials on the Republican side so they can figure out 
oh, I mean, I guess we, we better step up here. Maybe we got duped about how to, you know, or helping the police department understand. Is it, I mean, you've been talking about the uh, Islamic movement has pressured police to think they should, that the best answer is to stand back. What about pressure by law-abiding American citizens that say to the police, I want you to do your job, governor, mayor, or elect different people to do your job? Right, so a couple things. You're right, um, and that's part of what we do. And I wanna be very clear, the stuff that we advocate is all lawful. This is yes, all yeah. lawful. And there's a lot you can do as a citizen under the law. Uh, first of all, if you're uh, unarmed, uh, I have to bring up the question, who's responsible for your security? You are. If you're a father, you're responsible for the security of your wife and your family. Uh, and if you choose to be unarmed, I think you're foolish, uh, always not just in today's world. So that's the first thing. But what we do, we actually have been speaking with, as recently as today, people across the state who know who we are, who have uh, we work with, and primarily influential citizens who wanna know, okay, what's the, now what? Because we understand, there are plenty of people that have been trained by us in Texas. They see it, they now see, holy cow, What's transpiring is exactly what you said would. And what they were shocked at, one of the things we've been saying for years, but now they've just witnessed it. In Texas, where people would expect the heavy arm of the law would have come down, nope, zero, nothing. Nothing, right. nothing from the governor, the lieutenant governor, the attorney general, down to sheriffs, nothing. And so what's the message is what you just said citizens hopefully will realize they're the, they're the last line. You, the 911 is you. What we do, what I think is simple, is we empower them with tools, not just information. There are a thousand different things you can do. Yes, uh, advocate uh, to your state legislators, uh, local city councils. The problem is at the federal level, every component of government has been penetrated by the communists and the jihadis. So when we say, well, and you've heard me say, Donald Trump is a one-man army. I agree with that. But he's surrounded by advisors that are free of any clue about what we're talking about. Okay? <laughs> free of any clue, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's the truth. Yeah. And so you got a guy up there who is fighting for liberty, fighting for America, surrounded by people that don't get it, which I think is why he was so poorly advised over the last three days, that my guess is his response was not his gut response. Oh, yeah, there was a lot of talk about that. His advisors were saying, well, this is really an issue for the governors, the mayors, the, the local right. officials. you got to stay out Which of it. Which is legally and, and constitutionally not correct. Well, he, yes, he could take action. Absolutely. I, I, I kind of like him helping the public, helping people across the country see Trump wants to help. He's saying we should do something, and he's kind of th he keeps waiting because these governors should be helping, these police departments, these city officials, these mayors, they should be helping. He is making the point to people, you know, folks, I want to help you. What's wrong with all these people you elected? Where are they? Why aren't they doing anything? He is doing that much, but yeah, he's, he, he can't wait much longer. I mean, right. it's, it's a tipping point. And even he has bought into this narrative that the protests were hijacked by bad people. From the beginning, as you've already said, from the beginning, this was a coordinated effort nationwide. You never, never have, you know, X number of cities, these protests pop up, pre-made signs accidentally. 
Right. That's the point. So what can you do? I certainly advocate for understanding the threat because I want to win this war. This is a war that is now in the final stages in this country. And we have elected officials almost unanimously from both parties that have nary a clue about how far along we are in this. And that's why it's important, because if we have got to build armies of citizens at the local area, local to say no more, to pressure police, sheriffs, city council, chambers of commerce, mayors and police, don't expect them to do their job, but you do have a duty to pressure them to do their job. Because I think in the end, this is gonna fall to the citizens to defend the Republic. You know, it's an amazing thing as you're talking, we, we, you've been on the show many times, and we talked about this before, but the communist movement in America, you know, we think of it, at least when I was growing up, communists, everyone knows they're bad guys, we are the Western world, we're the free civilization. And communism, though, has been in America for 100 years or something, more than that. And, and so they have worked their way through convincing, through uh, gaining dominance in academic institutions, teaching young people who leave college at the very least to think that, that you know, America is, is an evil thing, capitalism is an evil thing, uh, you're really better off with communism or socialism. You have a, a you know, socialism is trendy now. It's a, it's a cool thing to be when you're a young person. You join the Democrat Socialists of America. I'm getting at, when people hear you talk, they could say, John, I mean, this is America. Okay, so we have, we've always had some rabble-rousers over here, and they're noisy, and they're leftists, but they're not really America. America's always going to be America. And so we've talked about, for example, the country of Venezuela. Very prominent, very stable, very prosperous, on the path to being the, you know, the shining star of South America. But it matters the ideas that take hold in your government, that take hold in your schools, that take hold in your culture. And all of a sudden, Venezuela is, as you know, shot. It's gone. There, there's, it, it's, it's been destroyed. And people think America, it couldn't happen because we're too big, we're too stable, we've been around 200 plus years. But it's all about ideas and what ideas get embraced by young people and, and by everyone, by, by people, but culturally. So we just think that we're, you know, we, we think the kind of things that we see happen elsewhere couldn't happen here. But you do have young people identifying as socialists and communists, the institutions filled with that, and, and then the government filled with that, and then jihadis on top of that who have their own little brand of, of, of hatred of America because they're, they're wanting to push Islam. But these people holding positions of power, and we're, if we're asleep with the wheel not recognizing it, this is how you could lose America. I mean, I know that's what you're saying. I was trying to put it, put some pieces together, because I think a lot of things when you say that people go, oh my gosh, that, that couldn't happen here. That's, you're, you're too extreme, you're too worried. Uh, my response to that would be, it's happened, and they're at the tail end. They're at the end of what they've been working on for 90 years from the communist 90 to 100 years, the communist movement yeah. and, uh, you know, 70 years from 1960. So 60 years here in the United States, the, the jihadi movement, the Islamic movement, uh, they're at the tail end. So we know what they're doing because we have all their information. We've talked about this before. We've put it in our articles. We have the testimony of defectors, KGB defectors and former Communist yeah. Party USA. We have their documents. We have their objectives that say what you just mentioned. Uh, we need to get the Bible and all religion out of schools. No talk of God. We've got to promote these things. And they've promoted all of it and they've taken us. This is a long-term plan for both the Islamic and the communist movements. And when the response from the US government is zero, 
then of course they're going to win. And this, what you're seeing, they can take America down. And I would argue they are very much there. They are on the precipice of winning and it will take extreme measures to keep it from happening. Because so far for decades, we've done nothing. The last president to actually take the stand was Ronald Reagan. Yeah. And, and, and we haven't seen that kind of aggressive move domestically against the movement here. Which ties into something about politics. You know, ever since I've even thought about politics, you hear people say, this next election is the most important one ever, is the most important election in American history. And maybe every time you can make the case it was true. But right now in 2020, you have what we've been watching in the three plus years that President Trump has been holding office. You have seen attack after attack after attack on him because President Obama had brought us so far down the path of, I, I call it Marxism, communism, whatever word you want to use, the loss of American freedom. Obama had us way down the path. They assumed, the world assumed, that Hillary Clinton was going to win and continue us on that path. And Donald Trump became the boulder in the road when he won in 2016. And so the effort to take him out, we thought it was all about you know, whether or not he really colluded with the Russians or whether about something in the Steele dossier was true or whether or not he said something inappropriate to the, um, you know, to somehow with some Russians, whether or it says something inappropriate to in the, Ukraine, the Ukraine situation, the Ukrainian president. We've been led along by these surface stories and the headlines tell you that, oh, well, now it's, a, it's really a problem because it appears that Trump said this. You're not allowed to say that. It appears that Trump may have had a meeting with somebody related to Russia. Maybe that shows collusion. We've been down this path and the whole time, the leftists, these are all just things they thought up to use to destroy Donald Trump's presidency. Not because they personally hated him, they might hate him, but it's because he put, he is the boulder in the road to what they want to do to America. That's what the left is all about. And this is why they've been so hysterically trying to take him out. This is why they went through the ridiculous effort of the impeachment. It's why that he got duped into the COVID-19 massive shutdown near destruction of our country's economy. And it is now what we're watching in the streets of every major city in our country. Uh, the argument that this is such a deeply racist country and there's been just this, you know, burning uh, rage against America that's finally being released and Trump is the main fault and he's the problem and he's the cause, or at least he's not fixing it. This is this getting the big picture what leftists are trying to do to America helps you put into context everything else the left has done to him in the last three and almost four years now. So we're about to wrap up here. Any last shots about uh, understanding the threat or observations about where we are? I just want to confirm for your audience what you just said, the impeachment, the coronavirus and this all intentional, right? Parts of what they're doing. And of course, we, we need to remember that the Democrat leadership are out and out liars. What do we now know that we have the transcripts of the testimonies that were behind closed door testimonies? Adam Schiff, every time his mouth opened on TV, he was lying. He knew there was no collusion because he was told that. The director of national intelligence, James Clapper, what he said in social media, he was lying. These people were lying all the way. And we now have unequivocal proof of that, even though we all knew it three years ago. So right now with what's going on, the, if I can leave everybody with this, these are intentional, well-coordinated movements with foreign influence here in the United States to bring the Republic down significant, aggressive 
action needs to be taken. And what we do is we provide tools to citizens and police and state local authorities when they want to use our resources. So understandthethreat.com, go to the website, use us. But uh, we are empowering people to, be a, to build the army here of citizens to actually win the war. That's what we're about. Thanks for giving us a chance, giving me a chance to speak about it. Great to have you, as always. Friends, I have one more quick story I'm going to cover on this Tuesday, uh, and that is the Supreme Court. I will tease tomorrow's show. I have Dr. Everett Piper joining me tomorrow. We're going to take apart the Supreme Court decision recently issued with an astonishing, again, traitorous decision by Justice um, John Roberts, taking the side of the left in this court. And yes, Supreme Court is not supposed to be about politics, Republican versus Democrat. It's supposed to be uphold the Constitution and follow the law versus the make it up wing of the court. And Justice John Roberts joined the make it up wing of the court in the case involving California and the right of churches to hold worship services. But we'll, teasing that for tomorrow, there was an amazing uh, two sets of decisions out of the Supreme Court recently, both of which they just refused to take a case that made no sense given we have the Republican, the conservative majority, a majority of justices appointed by presidents who actually believe in the Constitution. One involved the state of Idaho that has a prisoner in the prison system, a man who wants to become a woman. He wants transgender surgery. And the state of Idaho was unwilling to pay for it. It's a prisoner deciding he's going, he wants to transition himself. Idaho said no, case made it up the Ninth Circuit. Ninth Circuit said Idaho, the state of Idaho, did have the obligation to pay for and provide this prisoner with tr surgery to transition him to become a woman. And you know, this is the Ninth Circuit, which is getting better, but still has a lot of uh, very left-wing judges. Case is brought up to the Supreme Court hoping, of course, to have the court hear the case and essentially answer the question, could a state possibly have the obligation to provide transgendering surgery for an inmate and the Supreme Court refused to take the case, meaning it left in place the Ninth Circuit decision forcing Idaho to pay for it. And only two judges we know of spoke up to say, you know, this isn't right, or we should be taking this case. It was Alito and Thomas spoke up and said, actually, we should be taking this case. But obviously the other three relatively constitutionally based judges would not back the two judges who want to take the case. Simply astonishing, kind of like you, you just, you know, and I want to say something about courts. I actually am a lawyer by background. I love the law. I love the concept of the law. I love the idea of the structure of our government and what the Constitution set up. And then we have a judiciary obligated to follow law, not obliga obligated to protect any particular class of people, uh, elected people or wealthy people. They just are supposed to follow the law. It takes courage sometimes to follow the law. My guess, and I don't know, but my guess is there are so many decisions pending before the Supreme Court so many decisions that are going to be controversial, that are going to bring criticism if the court stands up for the Constitution, which in many cases means shoots down whatever the latest left-wing antic is and says, no, Idaho doesn't have to pay for transgender surgery or yes, and some other issue. Even Supreme Court justices, they are human beings who may have been 
just not wanting, not wanting yet one more example, one more time, they are ridiculed and mocked and harangued by the leftists, as I call them, the Democrat media mob. The Democrats control the media in this country who control the narrative, and you just might have had some judges thinking, you know, I'm not bothering taking that one on. There is no basis for the refusal of the Supreme Court to take this case unless they just decided I'm not going to be bothered with this, with this. I'm not going to give myself that next headache. And they didn't take the case. And it's not really just this one case. It is that, as you well know, precedents are set. Now, it's not as much precedential weight is given to a Supreme Court decision to refuse to take a case as there is given to a decision the Supreme Court issues. Had they taken the case and issued a decision that has much more stare decisis, much more power, weight to be followed in the future. This is not good, and there will be other courts and other judges who point to this decision and say, well, you know, the Supreme Court seemed to think it was okay. So, I mean, it's a validation of what the left was doing in this case. So, you know, even in this era of, you know, we are at a war from, in, we are at war in America internally for the preservation of this country, the preservation of the ideas, the founding ideas of America. Everybody has to step up. Everybody has to take risks. Everybody has to say the hard things. Everybody has to fight. Whatever your battle is, you fight it, including the Supreme Court. I'm just very disappointed they decided it wasn't worth a fight on this absurd idea that the state, the taxpayers, should pay for some guy who wants to transition to become a woman. And Idaho is now stuck with a decision saying they're going to have to pay for it. I think the Supreme Court in this case didn't want to deal with the backlash and made the easy decision to just turn their heads and say, okay, let's let that one go. Not good enough. Not good enough in a time when we were at war for the very identity of America. Well, I have a lot more to say about that, but sadly, I'm again out of time. It happens all the time. So I'm going to turn and tell you why the stories you talked about today matter to you. So we started out today. Matt, the wonderful, I believe, has them. Yes. We started about Jihad and Corpus Christi. Um, and I, on this one, folks, didn't get into the details, but I'm just going to tell you, if you go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, drop down a list of links you can read about this guy. He wasn't just mildly jihadist. He was heavily embedded in elements that simply hate freedom, hate America, hate Christianity, and want to inflict Islam on everyone. Okay, but Jihad and Corpus Christi, never forget the red-green axis, Marxist leftists ally with Islamists against America. Minnesota's Muslim Attorney General Keith Ellison decides he will prosecute the Floyd case. This is the gentleman, the black individual killed by the police officer in Minnesota, or so it seems, um, as Ellison's son proclaims his support for Antifa. Near total media silence on the jihadi attack of the U.S. Naval Air Station in Corpus Christi. Armed guard with bulletproof vest killed the jihadist before a far worse attack. Jihadi had an open public resume, to say the least, of hatred of America and infidels. Marxists, leftists hate America. They do seek its destruction. So do Islamists. They do not care in the slightest about minorities or the poor. They're actively destroying the businesses and neighborhoods of minorities and the poor. Good news, the masks are off these people and their ideology. Identifying the enemy is the beginning of defeating the enemy. And on our story about the Supreme Court wobbling, there was a second decision I couldn't get to, but Supreme Court recent rulings allowing COVID restrictions on church attendance to stand, ignoring First Amendment. Tomorrow, Dr. Piper, you'll love him. 
allowing the Idaho prison system to be forced to pay for transgender surgery for a prisoner. This is another one, allows release of violent felons as part of coronavirus response. These are not the rulings of a conservative or a morally courageous Supreme Court. American patriots and U.S. institutions must not cave to fatigue from fighting leftism. SCOTUS slip sliding into leftist accommodation is weak. It will invite more leftist litigation. Getting tough in support of American ideals is the demand of the times. Trump gets it. Barr gets it, I certainly hope. Do enough Americans still get it? And that, my friends, is my show for today, America Can We Talk. Please tune in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time for America Can We Talk. Go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, hit subscribe, get a once-weekly email. It's a great way to share the show. If you're on social media, you know what to do. Do all the social media things you do to help this show grow. Love and appreciate your emails. You can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. Yes, I'm way behind in responding, but I do try to respond. And I love talking with you every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time, talking with you about preserving America. This is why I do the show, America Can We Talk, to speak up for America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can you America, can we talk truth about America? Can